if the sermon bumper didn't give it away, we are in Daniel and continuing our series this morning in the book of Daniel. And while there is little narrative in our text today, which is chapter 9, I'd like to start with a little bit of a history lesson to bring us up to speed. Uh, First, I'm going to share some personal history, and then I'm going to share some history about Daniel. If we have not had the privilege to meet, uh, my name is Nathan, and my wife Rachel and I actually uh, joined fellowship uh, several years ago. We spent the first six years of our marriage in full-time vocational ministry, leading worship at two different churches in the area, and then after six years, God opened the door for me to get a job in technology, and uh, I decided to take a sabbatical from ministry, from vocational ministry. And it's in this break that we found fellowship, or rather fellowship found us. The beloved Dave Love uh, was the music minister here at fellowship, and he and I were personal friends, and he invited Rachel and I to come sing on a Palm Sunday, and uh, we decided to do the whole experience, come for Sunday school, and we just felt so welcomed and loved by the people that we have found our new church home. And so we joined on Mother's Day in 2006. So to give you a little bit of history, coming up almost on 17 years, uh, we brought with us our two kids, because at the time we only had two kids. (laughs) Somebody's excited about that. Now, our first day at fellowship, to be honest with you, didn't last very long. Uh, Being in ministry previously, I had another pastor call me and ask me to help him uh, planting a church in northern Kentucky, which is where I grew up. And so uh, by August of that year, we were gone. Uh, And I committed six weeks. I'd give this guy six weeks to help him launch a church, uh, leading worship, and to get through, just, you know, get on their feet. Well, that's six weeks turned into almost three years of driving 100 miles round trip because I didn't mention it before, but we lived 1.3 miles from here. And so fellowship found like a really great place. Now, we were not strangers to fellowship. We would still be here for a lot of Wednesday night activities. Our kids uh, went through the Awana program that was at the time. And so, uh, but in God's way and in God's timing, we came back to fellowship and We're invited to join the staff in August of 2009. And so finally, fellowship was by our side as we welcomed home our fourth child, the third child being born in there somewhere along the way, and uh, fourth child being Rubinho, who uh, joined our home uh, from his orphanage in Haiti in 2018. And before this month ends, I will, I will be the, we will be the parents of a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and two 15-year-olds. I almost wanted to shave this morning because the gray gives my age away, the gray in my beard, but then I also thought, you know, perhaps this is the time I want to look like I have gained some wisdom. Now, uh, why? Why do I share all of this? Well, some, some of you just don't know me, and I've thought I'd take that opportunity. I would like to get to know you. But also, some of you have known me now for several years. I've grown physically 
and shrunk physically and grown physically and shrunk physically. Uh, I've grown emotionally. I've grown spiritually. Our family has grown. Uh, and I'm not the same 20-something that uh, first walked through these doors. Uh, in other ways, I am the same person, and I'm certain that for many of you, your opinion of me has changed in these past 17 years for the good or the bad. But as we return to the life of Daniel today, we want to see him rightly through his entire life. In preparation for this morning, I asked several people, how old do you picture Daniel when he goes into the lion's den? I'll let you answer that amongst yourselves. It's probably not what you think. If you hadn't noticed in these past two installments of the book of Daniel, we've changed tone a little bit. You see, the first six chapters of Daniel are narrative, and they are taken in chronological order, and we work our way through those Sunday school stories of the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the fiery furnace, the writing on the wall. And then beginning in chapter 7 through the end of the book, uh, we are now a prophetic journal that, uh, that Daniel is writing based on visions that he's been given. And, uh, and they switch between chronology so that it gets a little bit confusing. So as we lay the foundation, before we jump into chapter 9, I'm going to give you some dates. There's going to be a chart we're going to put up on the screen here for you. These dates are B.C., that is before Christ, so we work backwards from zero, remembering that then the year number moves in reverse. Um, but biblical historians believe that Daniel was likely born around the year 620 B.C. This makes him around 15-year-olds when his three friends were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. These three musketeers with their Daniel d'Artagnan uh, began their education at the University of Babylon and uh, with Daniel chapter 2's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel was likely around 18. What I want to say is for our young people right here in the front and center is that you don't have to wait to make an impact for the kingdom. Daniel here at 15, 16, 17, 18, making an impact and being a model for the kingdom and what it means to believe Jesus and to follow him. Don't let age be an excuse. 586 B.C., uh, for those studying uh, biblical history, it's an important year. It marks the fall of Jerusalem. And in Nebuchadnezzar's vanity around the golden statue that he built, resulting in a trip to the fiery furnace for Rack, Shack, and Benny. For you growing up on Veggie Tales. At this point, they're approaching their mid-30s. By Daniel chapter 5, the king has changed to Belshazzar. This includes the handwriting on the wall, but also aligns with the prophetic visions of chapters 7 and 8. So chapter 5 concludes with the death of Belshazzar and the assumption of Darius. I've heard some say Darius. We're going to stick to Darius the Mede in 540 B.C. It's under Darius' reign that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And so our timeline puts Daniel at around 81 years old. When you pictured Daniel in the lion's den, did you picture him 
in his early 80s. So from our young people up front to our white hair or no hair people in the room, there is age is not an excuse by which we make an impact for the kingdom. You are never done making an impact for the kingdom. You can't say, oh, I did that when I was younger and I'm done and now I'm, I'm retired. And who wants to get tired again? We never stop working for the kingdom. And, as, uh, and so Daniel chapter 6, Darius, king, aligns with chapter 9 as our text this morning. And so picture Daniel here in his early 80s, setting up the stage for Daniel chapter 9. As we look at our text today, I want to focus on Daniel's pattern of prayer. We'll break this out into four things. You don't have to write them down yet, but these are your four points. If you are following along in the worship guide, commencement, confession, comfort, and confidence. Before we look at Daniel's prayer, let's begin with our own. Uh, O Lord, give your servant wisdom and discernment, clarity of speech, focus this morning as we consider the revelation to the prophet Daniel. May we encourage and find hope and turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name. Commencement. So we're going to begin in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, we point out this is Xerxes. These people have two names. We also know that Daniel had two names, Daniel and Belteshazzar, which not to be confused with Belshazzar. But in the first year, uh, a descent of... Um, by descent, Amid, Darius, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy Fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now I give our first point this morning as commencement. I want to be completely honest with you. I was just trying to get the alliteration down. This is a little bit of a stretch. But the word commencement means beginning. Fascinating. When uh, you graduate from high school or college, it concludes with a commencement speech, but that speech really being take what you've learned, and this is the beginning of your next phase of life. And so in Daniel's beginning of this chapter, where did he begin? Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, in the words of Julie Andrews. Where does Daniel start? It says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. What books? The scriptures. 
the Bible as it was at that point in time. More specifically, the words of Jeremiah. When we pray, and we're going to spend a lot of time on Daniel's prayer, which takes up much of the chapter, we best begin with the Bible. When we pray, we begin with the Bible. Pastor John Piper says, where the mind isn't brimming with the Bible, the heart is not generally brimming with prayer. If, we, if you find that your prayer life is a little bit dry, perhaps it's because your Bible life is a little bit dry. This seems to be Jesus' suggestion as well. He says in John chapter 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my Bible, my what I have said, abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. George Mueller, who is well known for his confident prayer life, said that for years he tried to pray without starting with the Bible and inevitably his mind wandered and he was distracted. But then He started with the book, and it turned his prayer life around. And then for 40 years, he was able to stay focused and powerful in prayer. Daniel starts with the book, and he stays with the book. As we'll read through through his prayer, it drips with Scripture with references that allude to uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Psalms, Jeremiah. You know, in one of the the last opportunities that Ryan had the opportunity to speak from this pulpit, uh, he recommended and pointed us to Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. If I remember, he even offered to buy a copy for anyone interested. Uh, I presume the offer still stands, so uh, be sure to hit Ryan up after the service. But we pray the Bible. We start with the Bible. We pray with and through the Bible our Faith is grounded in what we know and see in God's word. Now, Daniel commences, his commencement was in the book, and more specifically, it's likely that he's reading Jeremiah 29. Now, this is before there were verses, uh, verse numbers and chapter designations, but we'll look briefly at Jeremiah 20, 10 10 through 14. This is what I believe. And what scholars would tell us Daniel was likely reading, and and for good reason. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will seek me. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's not the text we're preaching from today, but there's some great depth in there to see that the Lord is the one who put them in this place of exile. The Lord is the one who sent them there, and it is the Lord who has promised through the word of Jeremiah to bring them back. 
Now, Daniel has been in Babylon, Babylon for somewhere between 65, 68 years. And he's reading this 70-year timeline. And he realizes that this is likely going to happen in the remainder of his lifetime. In Daniel's mind, this prophecy that is given is that already not yet that Pastor Brent often refers to because Daniel knows that the time is set forth by God and he's confident in God's word that it's going to happen. Daniel starts with the Bible. We are sadly one of the most biblically illiterate generations, which is a shame because we have the Bible so readily available. Namely, it's, you know, on that digital device we all carry around and always at hand. We could be reading so much more, but because we have it in abundance, we often neglect it. Oh, that God would give us again a hunger and thirst for the things of God and for his word. If you want to see growth in your prayer life, commence with the Bible. We had this moment here to kind of peek over Daniel's shoulder into his devotional life as he's been reading the word. And now we turn to the actual content of his prayer, the majority of which is confession. And this is our second point. We begin, we commence with the Bible, our commencement, and then we move to confession. I'm going to break this prayer out really between his confession and his petition. And we'll look at the first Verses 4 through 15. This is a little bit longer section, but just listen and read along as Daniel makes this confession. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly, and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us, open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, and in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning 
from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord, our God, is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. We could spend a few hours, okay, unpacking this, but we won't. Sidebar. Do you think we got a chance of winning tonight's game against the Ravens? Do you think we're going to make it to the Super Bowl this year? Okay, all right. Got some mixed feelings there. Uh, If we do, do you think we're going to win it, take it all? Okay, got some positives there. You see what I did there? I talked about our chance of winning the Super Bowl as if you or me are going to be out there on the field throwing passes and making tackles. You know, uh, but then if, if the Bengals lose, well, I can't believe they did that, right? <laughs> it's not a we anymore. It's now a they. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Daniel here employs the same technique. While he does later in verse 20 qualify that he had to confess his sins and the sins of his people, he's taking a lot of ownership here of the sins of Israel. This prayer is a we have sinned. It's a corporate we. He's taking ownership of, the trans, of a lot of transgressions that he did not personally commit. We look at Daniel, we tend to think he's a mostly upstanding guy. Now, all have sinned, clarity. Daniel included. But I think there's some application we can make here with respect to how we confess sins. When we are looking for sins to confess, uh, we should consider all those corporate communities where we are involved. Our family and our family histories. Our church and the uh, Christian community at large. Our businesses, our state, our nation, our world, the sins of Jerusalem, of Judea, the sins in the uttermost parts of the earth. You may not have individually committed them, but yet you bear the same name and you carry the same witness as those who have. And so we are identified with them from the community outside. We are part of that royal we, and so we should confess on their behalf. Now, if we're clear and honest, uh, we all have enough personal sin to start with that if you're really sincere about confessing sin, you probably don't have enough time to get through that. But, and if you're having trouble seeing the personal sin in your life, perhaps you need to commence with the Bible. Now, note in, as we've read here, Daniel is constantly contrasting God's attributes, his righteousness, his holiness, against uh, his sin, their sin. And if we are to see ourselves rightly, 
We have to see God in the glory of his righteousness and holiness. We began our service reading Isaiah 6. As Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and he says, woe is me. But then they turn and we sing, holy, holy, holy. And so we want to confess this morning. The good news, there's a lot of hope in confession. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. If we say we have no sin, it's likely because we didn't commence with the word. We didn't start with the word. And his word is not in us. James says that we should confess our sins one to another. Now, there's something radical. That we should pray for one another that we may be healed. A prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. In Proverbs, it says, whoever conceals or hides his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Paul writes in Galatians, Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. I think that this last exhortation aligns with Daniel's corporate confession. Could it be that when we bear one another's burdens in the context of that verse, that we are bearing the weight of sin, that we are bearing one another's weight of sin? Are we more quick to condemn people in their sin or to come alongside and help carry the load? Daniel's confessions followed by a brief petition. Continuing Daniel 9, verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now, therefore... O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our, our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, as he's praying for this restoration, let's remember he's praying under the confidence and context of having read that prophecy in Je Jeremiah and having full assurance that God is going to fulfill the promise to restore the kingdom. You know, it's one of those great benefits. He knows the future. And so when he speaks 
of this future in his prayer, he is praying with the confidence it's going to happen. Just as Brent was speaking from chapter 8 last week, and to know like we have won, the victory has already been won. We know the end of the story, and so we can live in light of that confidence. And then he also turns and he puts the ball back in God's court, in essence, by leveraging God's desire for his own glory, for God's name to abound in all the earth. And we should remember that we also are called by his name. We can remember that we are Christians. We are little Christ. We are representatives of Jesus. So we commence with the Bible. We proceed to confession. And coming out of our confession, we receive comfort. He continues in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, who we got introduced to again previously, whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. When... We pray, God hears. We should have that confidence and comfort this morning that when we pray, God hears. This is encouraged to us elsewhere in Scripture. 1 John 5 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward us, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. First Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Daniel is told here that at the beginning of your pleas, God was already taking action. Gabriel was set in motion. Now, as it pertains to our confessions, I tell you an encouragement and comfort this morning that forgiveness is immediate. More specifically, if we are in Christ, then our sin debt has already been paid, past, present, future. And confession is a lot more for our benefit. Now, for our petitions, we are not promised immediate answers, but we are promised that in our anxiety and in the waiting, God can give us an incomprehensible peace. And if we are praying for God's will to be done, we pray according to your will, O Lord, then we have confidence it is already accomplished every moment of every day. So be comforted. And as we come to the conclusion of this chapter, I want to leave you with a bit 
of confidence. Firstly, from a point of confidence, I want to confirm with you that when the 70 years were completed, Cyrus, who was then king over, uh, was the king of which Darius served viceroy under, uh, Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. In other, in other words, what Jeremiah said would happen, happened. The prophecy came true. And as, as we study Jeremiah, we even learn about how provision was given for the rebuilding of the temple. And then secondly, as we see the Daniel 9 here opened with a reference to these 70 years, and then it's going to close with a reference to 70 weeks. Now, if you go back to your Bible study group and someone there wants to tell you that they have full understanding of these last four verses of the book of Daniel, be very cautious. Uh, scholars have tried to make sense of these for thousands of years. That's a figurative, not literal thousand there. And so, and while I don't want to espouse a particular viewpoint, I did a lot of research and reading about this this week. And I want to tell you something encouraging and fascinating. Uh, there's some complicated math involved. I'm not going to go into the math, and some of you rejoice for that. But that takes these 70 weeks as 70 periods of seven and meaning seven, 70 periods of seven years. So turning these into years, accounting for the Jewish calendar. So uh, the Jewish calendar is like 10 days shorter than, the, than our solar calendar is. And so doing some of this complicated math, there is uh, some math that takes that span of 62 plus 7, that's like verse 25, and, and the decree by Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple, that 483 weeks, 483 years, bringing us to when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, heading into the Passion Week, where he would give his life for us. Now that is a little bit fascinating, but it should also be faith-bolstering. Like your faith can be encouraged. Because what God says he will do, he does. Our confidence rests in the past goodness and faithfulness of God. Daniel in his prayer referenced the deliverance from Egypt. God, you've done this before. I know you can do it again. And we can consider the dozens of prophecies that, you know, related to the advent of Christ that we just looked at last month. What God says he will do, he will do. So we've laid out a little bit of a pattern of prayer in the life of Daniel this morning. We commence, we start with the word, with the Bible. 
As we see in the Bible the goodness and greatness and holiness of God, we begin to rightly see ourselves with respect to that awesome God, and we respond with confession. But in our confession, we can be comforted that God hears us and will do something about it. He will take action on our behalf, and we hold to the confidence that he will uphold his promises, which are many towards you and me. And with that, let us pray. Oh Lord, the great and awesome who has fulfilled his covenant with us through the sending and sacrifice of his one and only son. Almighty God, whose mercies are new every morning, have compassion on us. For we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. We have rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your pastors and teachers. We have not heeded the instructions in your word. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Forgive us for our pride, pride that sees our sins as small and insignificant. Forgive us for our Greed that we would even consider our possessions our own and dishonor you with our stewardship. Oh Lord, have compassion on us for our lusts, for power and inordinate affections. Have mercy on us for our unclean lips. For we are quick, quick to criticize and to judge and slow to edify and encourage. You know our thoughts and intentions before a word escapes our mouths. Yet we tell lies. We stretch the truth. We hide behind the mask of the hypocrite in order to conceal our sins. O oh Lord our God, wash us of our covetousness and envy our dissatisfaction with our lot and our constant desire for more. We are guilty of selfishness and self-centeredness, self-focus, while you self-sacrificing, laying down your life for your sheep. We have not loved you with our whole hearts and minds and strength and will. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you, so wash us in the blood of your Son that we might be whiter than snow. Hide not your face from us, Turn to us in our distress. Hear our cries of repentance. Create in us clean hearts. Restore the joy of our salvation. Deliver us from the burden and the weight of our sin. And then open our mouths that we might declare your praise. Listen to our pleas for mercy. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon those called by your name. Incline your ear to hear, open your eyes to see. O Lord, hear. 
the Lord forgive. Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your sake. Not because we deserve it. But let the wicked see the deliverance of those that bear your name. To you, the omniscient, omnipotent, ever-present God, may we exalt you as great and awesome as we receive your never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and exalt the great and awesome God?